podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25, and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router. And any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a tad predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast. Today is Monday. It is the 28th of August. The transfer window is getting ready to slam shut. I always find that statement to be very strange because it's not actually a window. It's more a passage of time. Doesn't really slam shut, just moves into a different passage of time. But you know what I mean. Weather update. Cloudy. High chance of rain, I'd imagine. According to my weather app, no rain today, no rain tomorrow. Overcast on Wednesday. Can't can't wait for that. 
and then rain through the weekend. Lovely. Anyway, uh, we did have all 10 games of Premier League football this weekend. Another weird and wonderful and frustrating weekend in the Premier League. So, we begin Friday night, Chelsea 3, Luton 0. Good three points for Chelsea, obviously, having had a bit of a tough start to the season. Um, they were obviously expected to beat newly promoted Luton, and they did so in somewhat convincing form. Chelsea could have had four or five in this game, but Luton could have had two. Sanchez made one good save, and there was another good chance that Luton fired over the bar. Raheem Sterling opened the scoring on 17, dancing through the Luton defence. It's a really nice goal, but for the love of God, someone make a tackle. Someone actually try and stop him dancing through the defence. Sterling doubled the lead on 68, getting on the end of a cross. And then Sterling made the third, his cross, took a fairly sizable deflection and brought it into the path of Nicholas Jackson. And Jackson finished. Jackson himself had missed a couple of chances in the game, but looked lively and looked looked promising. He did. He looked promising. But I've I've been saying it all along. I think he's the guy who looks good off a striker rather than the guy who is your striker. Now, maybe when Nkunku comes back from the knee injury, that's a pairing that will work for Chelsea because Nkunku has experience playing as a nine. I prefer him a little bit deeper, but he can play up top and he can get goals. And maybe the combination of his goal scoring and trickery and dribbling ability and Jackson's speed and power and work rate, maybe that's something that works. And if Raheem Sterling is going to keep playing like this, and he's been Chelsea's best player this season by a country mile, then that's maybe the the, the front three that Chelsea can go with. Um, Enzo Fernandez needs to be moved back into central midfield. This playing him as a number, as a like an advanced attacking midfielder, is an absolute nonsense and doesn't suit him at all. Uh, somebody should advise Ben Chilwell that he has a left, that he has a right foot, and he's allowed to use it. It's not just the left foot that he's allowed to use. And somebody should advise Luton that they need to get busy in the market. They are building a team to go back down. And look, that's all well and good. There is merit in that. Not blowing through all of your money, going back down, reloading and potentially coming back up a second time in a better place. But as things stand, Luton look like they could threaten the lowest points total in Premier League history. And you don't want to be that team. You really don't want to be that Sunderland team or that Derby team. You just don't want to be. Uh, moving on to Saturday, the early kickoff, Tottenham 2, Bournemouth 0 at the Vitality Stadium. Um, I'm really impressed by Spurs. Really, really impressed by Spurs so far this season. That midfield pairing of Basuma and Papit Matar Sar has been one of the standout units in the league so far this season. And with Madison in the number 10 position, it's a lovely balance because Basum is a really good ball winner and he's a good ball carrier. Matar Sar is a good ball winner, 
And he's also very good at stretching the play. And by that, I mean, he will take off from midfield without the ball. And that means somebody has to track him while the ball goes somewhere else. And on the weekend, he made a couple of runs where it was very clear he wasn't going to get the ball. But he made runs to the edge of the penalty area and then a second run into the penalty area as the ball was played around him. And it disrupted the shape of Bournemouth. And the thing is, on the ball, he's shown he's more than capable. His assist for the Madison goal is outstanding. It's the perfectly weighted little through ball that opened up the Bournemouth defence. Uh, Kulosevsky got the second, getting on the end of an Adoji cross after really good work from Adoji. This Spurs team is impressing me. It really is. Now, they need a number nine. Richarlison missed two big chances that he should have put away. But as I've said, since the Kane to Bayern news kind of started heating up, I would go for Ivan Tony, And I would be happy to wait for Ivan Tony until January. There are other options they could go for, like Vlahovic. But I do think Ivan Tony's hold-up play and that that edge that he plays with, I think it's something that would really benefit Spurs. They're currently being linked with Brennan Johnson, who I very much like, but he's not a number nine. Now, what he could be is a successor to Sun. You get him in and you can develop him, but you, you just signed Manor Solomon. So you've got two left-wingers. Now, Johnson is more probably more comfortable on the right at the moment, but you've got Kulosevsky there, and you've got Brian Hill. Now, I know they, they're kind of hoping to sell Brian Hill in January once he's back from his injury. But I just... I'd like to see them stick with the, the left-footers on the right, the right-footers on the left. I think that works best with the fullbacks they've got. Poro and Odoji are glorified wingers, and they're really, really willing to get forward and quite hesitant to not get forward. So I I like what I'm seeing in the wide areas. I really like that midfield pairing and the triangle with Madison. Romero and Van de Veen continue to show promise as a pairing. Vicario, I haven't seen tested enough yet to really know what I'm going to make of him in this league. But I do know that they can't rely on Richarlison to be a source of of regular, consistent goals. So that's something they'll have to address before the window closes. Now, credit to Ange Postacoglu, who, as everybody who listens knows, I'm a big fan of him. I think he's, I think he's the type of player, the type of type of player, the type of manager who just gets the best out of everybody that he works with. And what we're seeing now is still the very early stages of his football. At Celtic, it took him probably three months to really implement everything and get the team humming to cut out some of the defensive frailties that we're seeing at the moment in the Spurs team, where they're a little bit too open at times. But I think once he gets a nine who can hold the ball up and bring others into the game, gets more reps with this unit, 
I do think Spurs could be a bit of a threat this year for a top four finish. I don't think they'll get a top four finish, but I think they're going to be bang in the mix for it up until the latter weeks. They're playing really good football. And as for Bournemouth, I'm impressed by what I see. There's more to come. I think Hamid Traore needs to be into the starting 11. I think he needs to be in over Philip Billing. But we know that there's Oatara to come back in. I think he takes the spot that Clivert is playing in at the moment. They've got Alex Scott to come into the team and they've got Tyler Adams to come into the team. And both of them will improve this group. Now, I'm not sure both will be immediate starters. I think Adams will. I think Adams comes in, he's that ball winner in there. And the other spot is probably rotated between Rothwell, Christie and Scott. And that's not bad. It's not bad at all. You can you can very much see what they're trying to do. You can see what it is that the new manager is trying to put in place. Because Iraola has very specific things he wants from his team. And they take time to master. But you can already see the the early stretches of it. And what we're seeing is they're able to do it in 15 and 20 minute runs. There was a 20-minute run against Liverpool where they just were the better team. There was a spell in this game where they were the better team. It's just a bit more repetition and being able to sustain that for longer and, most importantly, being able to convert chances when they get them. Now, they've had a difficult start. Like, they played West Ham on the opening day, and West Ham, to their credit, look very good at the moment. Then they played Liverpool, and then they've played Spurs. So... Really difficult start, and it continues for them. They got Swansea next in the EFL Cup. That's tomorrow. But in the league, they get Brentford away, Chelsea home, Brighton away, Arsenal home. Then it gets a little bit easier with Everton, Wolves, and Burnley. But again, there's no real easy games in the league. Then they go to City. Then they have Newcastle. So it is a very difficult start for them. They're going to have to start picking up more points. Wouldn't surprise me if they turn Chelsea over, but I do think there's a lot of promise to be seen from uh, Bournemouth in these early days of the season. We move on to Brentford versus Crystal Palace. And even though Brentford will be disappointed to have dropped points at home, I don't think they can really have too many complaints. They did think Palace were very good in this game and did deserve to take something. Kevin Shade put Brentford one up on 18 minutes, a lovely solo goal for his first goal for the club. And they're going to need him to do more of that. He's a very, very talented player. Liverpool looked at him a couple of years ago and Brentford kind of stole a march in a number of clubs. I think who were planning to move from in the summer by getting him in January on the loan with the obligation. Should, should develop into... 12 to 15 goal a season player in the Premier League. Palace had the better opportunities. Mark Flecken made. He made a good save from a free kick, but he made an unbelievable save from a header. And then the second save, the follow-up from AU at short range is brilliant. He just makes himself rock solid, big as possible, while covering all his angles. It's a great, great save. The goal he'll be disappointed in, it's a weird goal. Joachim Anderson picks the ball up, 
plays a one-two, takes a heavy touch on receiving the ball back. The goalkeeper kind of hesitates. He could easily get to it first. But because of that hesitation, Anderson is able to basically slide tackle and knock it through his legs and into the back of the net. And it's it's a bit of a mucky goal, but Palace definitely deserved it. Looks like Palace are about to wrap up a deal for Dean Henderson, which for me is an upgrade on Sam Johnston. They still desperately need a right back. And I, I think and I hope they want one in midfield as well. Um, as for Brentford, that team is, is very solid, but it is lacking that outlet. It is lacking that nine. Wiss is a good player, but he's a wide forward. He's not a nine. They've got really good wide forwards in in, in Mbomo, Wissa, Lewis Potter, and obviously Shade, who got the goal. But without Tony there, when they get penned in, they're struggling to get out. They're struggling to find someone who can make the ball stick 40 yards from goal and just allow them that bit of breathing room. So if they're going to do anything in the market before it closes, that's what it needs to be. They've got pacey outlets, so they can bang it down the channels and have people chase it. But chasing it is no use if you can't get to it. And if they don't get to it, it just gets reloaded and pumped back in on top of them. They need to have someone that can make the ball stick and let them step out and play their way out rather than just been resorting to launching long balls and hoping for the best. Um. So they've got a bit of a bit of work to do. Uh, Arsenal two, Fulham two. Very strange game of football. Bakayo Saka gives the ball away in the first minute. Andreas Pereira picks it up, forty yards from goals, dribbles it in to about thirty yards from goals, and shoots. It's not a particularly good shot, but it's on target. But because Aaron Ramsdale does. One of the weirdest things you'll see a goalkeeper do, but not the weirdest thing you'll have seen a goalkeeper do this weekend, and turns his back to the ball, it ends up in the back of the net, and it's 1-0 to Fulham. Arsenal huffed and puffed and looked very unimpressive. Very, very unimpressive. As they did against Palace, as they did against Forest. This doesn't look like a title contending team. It really doesn't. Mikhail Saka scores on 70 from a penalty after Kenny Tete just hung a foot. Fabio Vieira does really well, shows an unexpected burst of pace, drives past Tete, he hangs his foot. and It's just it's just one of them that happens. It's just really unfortunate. Saka steps up and scores. Two minutes later, Arsenal are ahead. It's Vieira again. In the left channel, lovely cross, lovely, just arcs it round the defence. Eddie and Keddie steps on and finishes. It's a really, really nice goal. And you assume that's it, that's game over. And then on 83 minutes, Calvin Bassey gets sent off for a second jello card. So that's definitely game over, right? But no, Arsenal don't see the game out. Arsenal don't seem to have any kind of nous here on how to see a game out, which isn't overly surprising when you look at the team that they had on the pitch and look at how young that team was and look at the fact that Arteta made some poor substitutions in this game. But 
Fulham get a corner. It's played in. Arsenal don't clear it. It bounces through some bodies. Joao Pelinha swings a leg on it and into the bottom corner, and it's 2-2. And that's a massive two points dropped for Arsenal because Arsenal have had a very favourable start to the league campaign, and they'll have been hoping for nine points, and to not get nine points will be disappointing for them. Now, look, only one team has taken nine points, but I would argue Arsenal have had the easiest start of anybody. So they'll be disappointed by that. And things will get more difficult for them. They get United next, and they have to go to Everton, and then it's the North London derby, followed by Bournemouth, followed by City, and then Chelsea. So a big, big six weeks coming up for, for Arsenal, in which they have six games that they could they could lose all of. Like, they genuinely could lose all of those games. They won't, of course. Not They, they won't lose all of them. But they could. I should have said they could lose any of them. But I think they'll lose multiple games in this run. I do. I think they'll lose multiple games. I think they're showing that they're soft. That's my takeaway from this Arsenal team, is that they're just a little bit soft. And I don't really understand what's going on with Gabriel, who was their best defender last year and is now out of the team. And even though... Timber is injured, Tomiyasu suspended, and Kieran Tierney is away from the club now on loan at Real Sociedad. Jakob Kiwar was given the start as the left-back who becomes the left-side centre-back rather than Gabriel. That's a little bit odd to me. So we'll have to see what happens with, with him. But he has been linked with moves away, and we'll see if he pushes forward in the coming days. I also don't really understand what's going on with Zinchenko. Last season, he was so important to how they played. Why is he not in the team at all? Why is he coming off the bench? Is, uh, maybe he's not fully fit, but to my knowledge, he is. Seems very, very strange. Anyway, we'll move right along. Manchester United 3, Nottingham Forest 2. This was a nonsense of a game. Uh, Forrest went 2-0 up in the first four minutes. First, Marcus Rashford failed to deal with Teo Awani on the halfway line, and Awani ran and ran and ran. Then he ran some more, and then he ran a little bit more. And then, the strangest thing you'll see a goalkeeper do, maybe ever, Andre Onana, rather than engaging the on-rushing forward, basically decided to sit down. He just threw himself back into a chair, but the chair was not there, and he landed on his arse. <laughs> and what he just happened into a glorified empty net. Very, very strange. On four minutes, uh, there's a cross comes in, a corner comes in, and it just kind of hits Willy Bolly in the head. He doesn't really head it. It's all very surprising to Willie Bolly that he scored a goal, but he's celebrating the goal because he scored the goal. But there's absolutely no way he knew anything about it. On 17 minutes, Christian Eriksen got United back into it. Decent bit of work down the left by Rashford and a, a good a good finish by Eriksen. I'm not entirely sure how this next goal counts. So... I I am sure, but I think this is where the offside rule to me is a bit of a 
It's it's a bit of a nonsense. So United take United get a free kick on the edge of the forest area, and they play a really weird free kick where Bruno, rather than clipping it into the box, plays it 25 yards square across to Rashford and then makes a run and Forrest don't pick him up. And it's a really nice worked free kick in, in what they do. But when Rashford floats the ball back in, Casemiro is miles offside. But then because... Bruno runs onto it from an onside position and squares it. Casemiro is now onside rather than offside. To me, I'm sorry, he's offside in the first phase of that. I I just, that goal to me shouldn't have counted. But it did, and that's just what the rule is. So that's fair enough. On 76 minutes, Oh, sorry, on 67 minutes, Joe Worrell is sent off for a professional foul, dragging down Bruno on the edge of the box. Just couldn't keep pace with him. And then on 76, Bruno wins the game for United. Rashford drives into the box. He does get clipped by Danilo. It's kind of a hip check. He goes down. It's a penalty. I, there's no doubt about it. Up steps Bruno, and it's a really well-taken penalty. United were good value for their win. I mean, Bright, uh, Forrest were awful. They went 2-0 up and then they kind of stopped playing. And it felt like United were there for the taking at times, but Forrest just sort of allowed them back into the game and then made silly mistakes. I, I wouldn't be overly confident, though, if I was United coming off that win. Like, you, you weren't good either. They were just worse. And there was, you know, you were 2-0 down within four minutes. That happens against a good team. You're not coming back into that game. They're going to go on and wallop you. United will get walloped a couple of times this season. United have work to do in the next couple of days. So do Forrest. Looks like Forrest are about to sign a couple of players. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. It looks like there's a defensive midfielder coming in and a left-sided centre-back. So we'll wait and see what they get done. United have been linked to a left-back with the Luke Shaw injury. And obviously they want another addition in midfield. My hope is it's Ryan Gravenberch. Uh, Everton nil, Wolves won. Everton's atrocious start to the season continues. Um, this wasn't actually a bad game. I, I didn't watch this live because I thought this is going to be an atrocity. Because me and Guy talked about it. And we, were, we were convinced this was going to be an awful game. Now, it wasn't a great game by any stretch, but it wasn't dreadful. And both goalkeepers were required to make at least two very good... Pickford made one where he was caught flat-footed and managed to just readjust and get down low and scoop a header out. It was a brilliant save. Jose Sa made a couple, but the one where he's falling over and the ball is looping haplessly into his net and somehow he manages just to get enough spring in his legs and jump and tap the ball over the bar. I don't know how he made that save. I've watched it fully 15 times. And I still, it is bending my brain because I don't understand how he made the save. Um, Sasa Kalasic wins the game for Wolves in the 87th minute. Pedro Neto crossed Kalasic on off the bench. It It's sort of a flicked header and it kind of comes off his shoulder as well and it beats Pickford. And there's nothing Pickford could have done about it. Um, I, I did feel for Everton in this one. They They deserved something. They deserved something. I watched this back last night and I felt like 
they were a little bit hard done by. Um, I have to say, I was quite impressed with Jared Branthwaite. I do think Everton have something in him. Now, they need to bin this Ashley Young at left-back nonsense. Ashley Young is not good enough to play in the Premier League at this stage. And they need to stop playing him. Michael Enkel's a better left-back than him. He just is. So they need to get him in the team. Didn't really understand a lot of what Sean Dyche did. Haven't really understood a lot of what Sean Dyche has done in this season so far. Uh, Things are not looking good for Sean. For his uh, long-term job prospects at Goodison Park, I, I would be I would be shocked if he is the manager going into next season. I genuinely shocked. I I I don't think he'll see out this season, and I don't think he'll be one of two Everton managers this year. He might be one of three. They're in a bad way. There's there's enough there to stay up, but I, I there's enough talent there to stay up. There doesn't seem to be enough commitment. There's certainly not enough of a tactical plan. Like three defeats and three, it's not like you've had the toughest of starts either. Like you haven't played the best of the best here. You played Fulham. Surely they're a mid-table team that you would want to be competing with. You got hammered by Villa, that's fair enough, but you did get hammered and you lose to Wolves. So you lost at home to Fulham and Wolves. They're two games you had to be winning. Up next is Sheffield United away. That is a massive game for both clubs. Then Arsenal, then Brentford. Like, this is going to get messy in a, in a, in a short period of time if Everton don't get the rack together. Uh, last game on Saturday is the weirdest game from Saturday. It's Brighton 1, West Ham 3. Brighton had 78% of the ball. At one point, they had 85% of the ball, and then they went 1-0 down. Uh, an absolute catastrophe from from Webster. Really not sure what it was he was trying to do. And then really poor defending from Lewis Dunk. Ward-Prowse does well, but it's a goal all of Brighton's own making. Uh, West Ham's second is a stunner. So the touch and the finish will get all of the praise because they are outrageous. Jared Bowen's first touch to just kill the ball into his own path and then the little finish into the far corner. It's sensational. But this goal is actually all about the assist. That assist from Ben Rama is is something they should be showing young kids. He breaks down the left-hand side. He's got no support. And rather than just, you know, do the hero ball so I'll take everybody on here and maybe I'll get a corner from it. He puts his foot in the ball and he waits and he waits and he waits. And that patience and composure is something that's often lost with young players. But it's magnificent from Ben Rama. And then the pass is outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Perfect height. Perfect distance, perfect weight. Talk about on target and on time. Like, if he'd run across and handed it to Bowen, it wouldn't have been as good. If he'd literally ran across and just put it in front of him and he, as he ran onto it, it wouldn't have been as perfect. It is absolutely sensational. I'm, that goal, the, the assist and the touch and finish from Bowen, 
should be shown on an endless loop at academies everywhere. For technical ability and decision-making and awareness, it is, it's fantastic. Five minutes later, West Ham go 3-0 up. Mikel Antonio just doing what Mikel Antonio does and bullying Brighton defenders. Now, during the game and after the game, there was this idea that West Ham battered Brighton, that Brighton were were shit during the game. And the, the opposite is true. West Ham did a smash and grab here. Brighton played well. Brighton created lots and lots of really good chances. Brighton were denied one, what I thought was a clear penalty. Now, Brighton fans are arguing that there's actually two. I think there's one. I think the handball is a blatant penalty. But the man of the match in this game was Ariola. Antonio was excellent. Bowen was very good. Ben Rama was good. Ward-Prowse played well. Edson Alvarez was monstrous in midfield. But Ariola was incredible. He made four genuinely world-class saves in this game. Absolutely magnificent performance. And the addition of Alvarez makes them look so much more solid. And now they have Mohamed Kudus to come into the mix here. I'm curious to see how and where they're going to use him. Because for me, the obvious one would you put is would be to put him on the left wing and move Paqueta in where Ward Prowse is. But then I don't really want Suchek in that spot either. Maybe you play Fornals or Ben Rama in that spot, but they could play Ward Prowse there either. They are going to need to get a striker in before the window closes as well, though. Don't be enough goals across season because we know Antonio will get injured at some point. Bowen tends to be a bit streaky. So if, if his bad streak coincides with Antonio being out, there's just no goals in the team. Uh, moving into Sunday then, Sheffield United won Man City 2. Um, not quite sure how City didn't score 4 or 5 in this game. Haaland missed a couple of great chances, including a penalty that hit the post. Fodderingham in goal for uh, for the Blades made some really good saves. But Haaland opened the scoring on 63. Jack Grealish, who'd been fairly anonymous in the game to that point, stood a perfect cross up at the back post and Haaland headed home from three yards out. Nothing anybody could do to stop him. And then Kyle Walker had a brain fart. But I saw a lot of people say, oh, the goal was his fault. It came from his brain fart. But City had more than enough chances to, to fix the problem. Well, it starts out in the, the right back corner. Well, just inside the penalty area, Walker tries to back heal a ball to a teammate, gets intercepted, gets worked around, but Sheffield United kind of half lose it at one point, gets worked back around, comes across to Jaden Bogle. Now, his shot takes a little bit of a deflection, which helps us beat Ederson, but I wouldn't, it obviously comes from Walker's mistake, but there was more than enough opportunities for City to stamp that out. And they just, it showed a little bit of vulnerability in that back line. Um, Three minutes later, though, Rodri put them back in front. Uh, Walker does brilliantly, doesn't give up on a a loose ball, beats Larashi to it, plays it in. Foden tries to control it, but can't get it under under his spell. It just drops to Rodri and he leathers it 
absolutely leathers it. Nobody's stopping that. And it's 2-1. And yet again, this guy who's their defensive midfielder is stepping up with a big goal as he did time and time again last season. There really is a strong case that he's a top three player in the league. He is that good. He is that special. Um, Burnley won Aston Villa three. Maddie Cash on eight minutes. Maddie Cash again on 20 minutes. The second one is a fantastic team goal. Lyle Foster drags one back for Burnley. And then Moussa Diaby, who's had a great start to life in the Premier League, uh, scores on 61 to wrap it up for Villa. Interesting to see Villa go with a back three. Conza, Carlos and Torres. And I thought it did look quite good. Cash and Dina definitely more comfortable as wingbacks as well. I'll be curious to see if he'll try Zaniolo and Diaby as a two behind Watkins instead of using McGinn there. If he does, I think that could be quite fun. Uh, this Villa team are very good. They are very good. That was a Villa team missing uh, Emmy Martinez. But they're very, very good. They're obviously well coached. They're well set up. But to be very fair, Burnley did give them a game. They really did give them a game. And they had moments where I thought they were going to get themselves back into it. But unfortunately for them, they just didn't have that final bit. Burnley have brought in a lot of players in this window. It'll be interesting to see if they bring in any more. They definitely could use one or two more bits, but you don't want to do too much in one window. So we'll see what happens with them. On to then the maddest game of this weekend and many weekends. Uh, Newcastle won Liverpool 2. Um, I, I, I still don't know how this game unfolded the way it did. Anthony Gordon scored for Newcastle on 25 minutes. Um, dreadful mistake by Trent. Gordon runs on, and it's a, it's a good finish by the man who looks like Claire Balding. Um, three minutes later, Virgil van Dijk is sent off. It's more good work by Gordon. He plays in Isak. Van Dijk comes across. He seems to take man and ball at the same time. Decision is the decision. It's a red card. Off he goes. Liverpool are in a world of trouble at this point. Um, they don't seem to have any structure. They don't seem to have any identity. They don't seem to have any plan. There's been plenty of rewriting what happened in that game because of the outcome. But Liverpool were a mess, an absolute mess. Newcastle should have had this game done and dusted. And if not for Alison Becker and, and a goalpost, they would have. Toon were by far the better team. Until... Eddie Howe started making them weaker with his substitutions. Now, Jurgen Klopp is getting a lot of credit for his substitutions. But really and truly, Klopp was throwing shit against the wall and looking to see what stuck. Because he brought on Gomez when Van Dijk got sent off. And Gomez played well. But he brought him on for Diaz rather than Gakpo. And Gakpo was awful. So while the player coming on was did well, it was the wrong substitution to make. Then he introduces Jota and Harvey Elliott and neither of them have any impact on the game until he makes the last set of substitutions, which is to throw on Darwin Nunes and bring on Gerald Kwanzaa for his debut at centre-back. 
then things started to work because Nunes, as a forward presence, was able to run in behind and occupy the Newcastle defence and give Liverpool an outball. So I've seen it described as a masterclass, but no, no, no. 81 minutes, Diogo Jota tries to play a through ball. Botman cuts it out and then somehow gets himself in a tangle and he plays the through ball to Darwin Nunes, who runs on and fires a beautiful right-footed shot into the far corner. So it's one all. Liverpool look like they're getting out of there with a draw. Newcastle are still the better team, still playing the better football, but Liverpool have gotten a goal. And then on 93 minutes, Liverpool turn the ball over in the middle of the field. Harvey Elliott gives it to Mo Salah. Salah plays the perfect pass, splitting the defence. Dan Byrne, who's moved from left-back to centre-back because Botman had to go off injured, is playing Darwin Nunes onside. And Nunes goes through. Doesn't need to take a touch because the weight on the pass is perfect. Nick Pope rushes out. And Nunes just sweeps it past him into the far corner again. There are two outstanding finishes from Darwin Nunes. It's three massive points for Liverpool. But it's it's a result that Newcastle will be furious about because they threw it away. Now, I could go into a bunch about the referee and all that, but I've done that in the Daily Red today. I'm not going to do it again. You can go and listen to that if you want. Um, all I will say is that Eddie Howe needs to have himself a big shut up when he's having a good cry about, oh, Trent should have been sent off. Well, firstly, he shouldn't have been booked in the first place. Anthony Gordon fouled him and Trent was booked for throwing the ball back onto the pitch. But yet Newcastle's players did that on multiple occasions, kicked the ball away and did little bits and no bookings came. Liverpool had two players booked. Trent for throwing the ball away. Newca- uh, Darwin Nunes for kicking the ball away when neither of them actually did anything to break the rule. Uh, but Anthony Gordon did it twice. Joe Linton did it. And at one stage, a Newcastle fan threw a ball onto the pitch and Liverpool were taking a, a throw-in and the referee's answer was to give Newcastle a throw-in. So all very weird. All very weird. Also a very strange situation where Joe Linton was just allowed to recklessly foul people throughout the game and not get booked. But it is what it is. Um, Liverpool win 2-1, and Liverpool will be very, very happy with that result. City are top, nine points from three games. Then West Ham. Then Spurs. Then Liverpool. Then Arsenal. That's your seven points. Brighton, Villa, and United have six points. Brentford, have five. Chelsea, Crystal Palace and Fulham have four. Newcastle, Forest and Wolves have three. Bournemouth have one. Sheffield United, Burnley, Luton and Everton have no points. Everton have no goals and at the moment look like they have no hope. So, we will take a break and when we come back we will get into lots of gossip a bit of news and maybe the bizarrest story I have ever, ever heard regarding football. So I will see you after this. 
Right, welcome back. So, a uh, couple of bits of news. Uh, Scotland have called up Elliot Anderson of Newcastle for their upcoming games. Very, very talented young player. Scotland have some very exciting young players that they are going to be able to start leaning on. Uh, he's one. Hayden Hackney is another. and He's not in this squad, and I really don't understand why. Billy Gilmore, Lewis Ferguson. That that could be a very, very strong midfield unit. Now, there's question marks in other areas, but defensively, they've got really good fullbacks. I quite like Scott McKenna. I'm not really keen on the other centre-back options, and I don't like their forward options. But I do think there's an exciting midfield that they can start to build um, with, with these younger players. Uh, Mohamed Kudus has completed his move to uh, West Ham. I think it's a really good get for West Ham. I think it's a very ambitious signing as well. And I'm I'm quite looking... I know Piquetta was looking to leave, but I'm actually really looking forward to seeing those two play together because there's such a nice balance between what they each offer. And then obviously you've got the likes of Bowen as well. It'll be a heavy... Heavy left-footed team. Um, moving on. Uh, Everton are closing in on a deal to sign Beto from Udinese for a deal in the region of up to 30 million. He scored 10 goals last season. He's 6-4. They've also signed Cermetti. He's 6-4 as well. And they've got Calvert-Lewin, and he's about 6-4. So fairly easy to see what Sean Dyche is trying to do here. Um, that's a heavy price for for Beto. It is. It's a heavy price. 15 to 18 will be more of what you're going to look to do there. Um, I like the Dan Juma signing. I, it worries me that they haven't done a bit more elsewhere. But look, needs must. They are in a desperate state at the moment. Now on to the weirdest story I I can ever remember. So everybody will remember at the Women's World Cup final, there was a moment where Jenny Hermoso went up to get her medal and Luis Rubiales, who is the Spanish Football Federation president, stuck his lips on her without her permission, without her wanting any part of this and it all obviously exploded then afterwards because he made some very very stupid comments rather than just owning it and accepting that he made a mistake and saying look I got I got really carried away I got really carried away and I'm really apologetic to it he doubled down and just made an absolute prick of himself so he vowed not to resign on Friday. And on Saturday, he was suspended by FIFA. Now we have news that in Motril, which is a town on Spain's southern coast, in the Divina Pastora church, his mother has barricaded herself in and undertaken a hunger strike. She has locked herself in the church 
and told Spanish news that the hunger strike would continue indefinitely, day and night. She has said that the inhumane and bloody hunt that they are doing to my son is something that he does not deserve. His cousin, who is the family spokesperson, said, we are suffering a lot for him. He has been judged before his time. The media don't stop harassing us. We have to leave our house. We want them to leave us alone and for Jenny to tell the truth. It's not fair. Tell the truth about what? It's absolutely bizarre. The Spanish government had asked for Spain's sports tribunal to suspend him. The Spanish Football Federation had called regional federations to an extraordinary and urgent meeting to evaluate the situation in which the government, now the federation now finds itself. These are happening today. When it announced that it suspended Rubiales on Saturday, FIFA ordered him, the Football Federation, and its officials and employees not to attempt to contact Hermoso, who the Football Federation had incredibly threatened with legal action. Now, you'd imagine that's come from him, but Jesus wept. It gets worse because Spanish prosecutors have now opened preliminary sexual abuse investigations into him. This is breaking as we speak. This is going to get messier before it gets cleaned up. And the fact that this guy is still trying to pull the strings and act like he did nothing wrong tells us all we need to know about him. Uh, we will move into the gossip section. Uh, Fenerbahce's Turkish goalkeeper Altay Bayinder is flying to England as he closed in on a £6 million switch to Manchester United, obviously coming in as a replacement for Dean Henderson. Manchester United have played... Sorry. Manchester United have placed Ryan Bertrand on their shortlist as they look to find cover for the injured Luke Shaw. Obviously, Malashia is injured as well at the moment. Uh, an unnamed team in Albania is the only club interested in signing Mason Greenwood. Uh, Paris Saint-Germain want to offload Hugo Ekatiki to Brentford, but the Premier League club is focused on trying to sign Nicolas Gonzalez. Nicolas Gonzalez doesn't seem to want that move, and Fiorentina do not seem to want to sell. Ekatiki would be a really, really, really clever signing. I think that's a really good move for him and for them. And I think they could make huge profit off him in a couple of years. Um, Everton are close to agreeing a deal for Beto. Tottenham are one of the clubs that have been uh, alerted to the availability of Portuguese winger Jota only two months after he became Al-Itihad's club record signing. All a little bit weird, the situation there. All a little bit weird. And I've heard some things. I'm not going to repeat them. But let's just say it's not stuff that you'd be surprised about when it comes to clubs in certain parts of the world. And that's, that's you know, that's just what they do. And that's their right. And away with them. Um, Crystal Palace will demand $70 million for both Eberichi Eze and Czech de Cure. Liverpool are looking to secure the services of Piero Hincapié. I would love Hincapié 
Liverpool are desperate to add a centre back and central midfielder to the trans uh, before the transfer window closes. Um, Decoure and Incapier would be the pair. They would be the pair. They're ideal for what Liverpool need. Corinthians defender Murillo is on the verge of joining Nottingham Forest. It's a very good signing. Arsenal are prepared to sell nine players to raise a hundred million to balance the books before the transfer window closes. Nine players. They don't have nine players to sell. Not nine players would be worth anything. Obviously, the big one going is Balogun, but Tierney's gone on a free. Well, he's gone on a loan, but there's no there's no loan fee involved. Um, Granit Xhaka, Matt Turner, Aaron Trusty, Pablo Mari. Are we counting those? Because then you might get a decent amount. I suppose, what did they get? Five million for Trusty, five for Mari, for Turner, and they got 12 for Xhaka. No, they got more than 12. They got like, didn't they get 20? 18 or 20. So they're probably at about 35 million. Balligan, I think, is bringing about 28 million plus add ons. Um, okay, so Gabriel and Tommy Asu and Sambi Laconga, they're the ones also imagine here and Nicholas Pepe, but nobody's paying you money for him. Uh, Crystal Palace have made contact with Paris Saint Germain about signing Julian Draxler. I had genuinely forgotten Julian Draxler was still at PSG. Bradley Barcola is ready to snub interest from Chelsea as he favours a move to Paris Saint-Germain. Good for him. Nottingham Forest are interested in Trevor Chalaba, but the English defender is not keen on a move to the city ground. Now, uh, this is from Football Insider. It's from Peter Rourke. So it is, but it's shite. Let's be honest. It's shite. Um, There's going to be a bit more swearing moving forward, I feel. Uh, over the next couple of days, anyway, then we'll then we'll rein it back in. Nottingham Forest are trying to sign Fenerbahce and Belgium striker Michi Batshuayi and have bid three point four million. Okay, Schalke want to sign English left back De- Derry Merkin from Dutch side Volendam, but have only offered four hundred thousand. He's a decent player. He's been in the Netherlands since he was a child, I believe. Yeah, age of four. But he's a decent player. It's funny. I think I'm right in saying this. Yeah, so he was born in Colchester in 99, moved away at the age of four to the Netherlands. The following year, Etienne Green was born in Colchester and he moved away to France at the age of four. This, it's meaningless, obviously, but it's just interesting to me. Um, oh, Chalaba is holding out for a move to Bayern Munich. Right. Okay. Um, Crystal Palace and Mali midfielder Cech de Coure is top of Liverpool's shortlist for a new midfielder. Um, I mean, I, I hope it's true, but we'll wait and see. West Ham have reopened talks for Harry Maguire. They've just signed a good centre-back. I, I don't know that that's true. Manchester United have contacted Chelsea over a possible loan for Mark Kukurea. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. Well, it depends. I suppose it depends on how long... It depends on how long Shaw's... Uh, yeah, Shaw's going to be out. 
Mohamed Salah has told Liverpool he wants to join Al Ittihad. Liverpool are lining up Joe Felix as a potential replacement for Salah. This is from Steve Kay, who is a complete spoofer, uh, who recently blocked me on Twitter for calling him a complete spoofer and giving him examples of why he's a spoofer. Um, Conor Gallagher will reject a move to Tottenham. There is no move to Tottenham. Ajax are in talks with Atlanta United over a deal for Thiago Almada. Be interested to see him in Europe. Chelsea are targeting a move for Jeremy Frimpong. No, they're not. Brighton have agreed a 23.2 million deal to sign Carlos Baliba. He's super talented. That one should be good. Luton are exploring a possible deal to sign Isaac Hayden. I like Hayden, but again, this is a move you do to set yourself up in the championship. Uh, Ivan Fresneda, the young Spanish fullback who everybody thought was going to come to the Premier League, is off to Sporting Lisbon. Barcelona were also keen on him, but they've opted to sign Joao Cancelo. Crystal Palace could offer Eberici as a, a new five million a year contract with a release clause amid interest from Man City. Sevilla have inquired about the possibility of re-signing Clement Langley. There's a definite possibility because Barca are desperate to get rid of him. And Fiorentina boss Vincenzo Italiano is urging the board to find a solution to Sofia Amrabat's future among interest, amid interest from Manchester United. And finally, we will move on to today's gossip. City are close to signing Mateus Nunes after submitting an improved second offer for the 25-year-old Wolves midfielder. Uh, Joe Felix to Liverpool. No. Uh, next summer, next summer, I'd be very interested. I really would be interested. Because I think him and Darwin as a two, with Sabozlai and McAllister as an advanced two in midfield, could be very interesting as, a, as an attacking group. But it does leave the question, what do you do with Luis Diaz? Now, you could play you could play a number of different ways. But it's definitely not something I'd rule out next summer. But Salah's not leaving this summer. Manchester United target Marcus Alonso has made his decision on a potential transfer to Old Trafford with the Red Devils seeking him as a replacement for Luke Shaw. I assume his decision is to stay in Spain because, you know, you get to live in Spain. Alonso was on the shortlist along with Marco Correa. Uh, Sergio Regulon is also on that list, but Fulham are ahead of United in the pursuit of the Spaniard. Bayern Munich are looking at making a loan move for Scott McTominay, um, and they might send Ryan Gravenberch to United on loan. I think that's a good move for all parties. Um, all parties lose in that one, but you know it's a good move for them all, and it's especially a good move for me because then I don't have to worry about Liverpool signing him. Paris Saint-Germain have made an offer of... 80 million euros plus Hugo Ekatiki for no, sorry, it's 80 million euro for Randall Cole Muani, and then they would sell Ekatiki to Frankfurt for 17 million for, for 20 million euro. So all told it's 60 million euro plus Ekatiki. I don't think that will get it done. But I wouldn't be surprised if, if Polo Muani ends up at ends up at PSG. I do just wonder though, what, like, how does that work with Mbappe? Because you've already signed Goncalo Ramos, so I'm not really sure how this is going to work. Um, 
Monaco are back in talks for Tosin Adarabayo. He's a very good defender, to be fair. I, I can see I, I he Everton should be signing him. That Everton should be signing him. A number of Premier League clubs could do with him. Personally, I think Newcastle should have a look at him. Um, Everton are in talks to sign Nico Alvedi. He's he's decent. He's decent. He doesn't play for Borussia Dortmund though. Plays for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Roma have emerged as the leading contenders to take on Romelu Lukaku. I think that deal's close to done. Uh, Chelsea are trying to agree a seven million loan fee. Um, Tottenham are set to launch a fifty million move for Brennan Johnson. Fifty million is very high. Very high. Nottingham Forest are interested in Wolves goalkeeper Jose Sa as long-term target Dean Henderson nears a move to Crystal Palace. Queeveen Kelleher, lads. Fulham are looking to sign Timothy Castanier from Leicester. That would be a dreadful signing. Uh, Marco Verratti is on the merge of making a move to Al-Arabi. Who? In, that's a Qatari team. I think they've gotten confused here. Al-Arabi are a team in Qatar. I think it's Al-Ali, they mean, because they say the Saudi Arabian club. Um, let me just let me just double-check this. Yeah, no, this this says it's Al-Arabi in Qatar. Interesting. So they've just messed up. It's not a Saudi Arabian club. It's a Qatari team. So he'd be going to play at an even lower standard. Uh, Napoli will rival Manchester United for Sofian Amrabat. And there we go. That's it. That is all we have for today, folks. Thank you, as always. And I will, uh, just before I go, looks like Jao Canseo to Barcelona is done. Uh, alone with an option to buy. It's a good signing for Barca. And I'm still a bit surprised that City have decided to move him on. But it is what it is. Uh, right, that'll do. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.